Well, good morning, New Day. So good to see you guys. Thanks so much for being with us today here in person and online as we continue our current teaching series called Christ the King, where we're studying the wonderful gospel according to Matthew. Our text today is Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. And in these particular verses, what we see is the king's teaching on the topic of prayer. As we've been learning over the course of this series, uh, the Apostle Matthew wrote his gospel to proclaim to all that Jesus is the great king that God promised to send into the world who would one day rule over an eternal kingdom. And in our passage today, we see this king's teaching on the subject of prayer. Now, the reality is, and it's a sad reality, but it's a reality nonetheless, the reality is that many people only pray in crisis. Have you, like me, ever fallen into that rut? Everything's going good, and God doesn't hear a whole lot from you, but then something happens, and all of a sudden, God immediately has your attention. You get a bad report from the doctor, you become a prayer warrior, you know. Your kids turn away from the Lord, all of a sudden you could not be more faithful in anything than in prayer. Or maybe you lose your job and all of a sudden you just draw really close to the Lord and you're in constant communication with him. Well, I've actually named this approach to prayer and I call it the Jonah approach. Do you remember Jonah? He was swallowed by the whale, and all of a sudden, in the belly of the whale, Jonah, I mean, he got in touch with God. He started praying to God. He started calling out to God. And unfortunately, many of us take the Jonah approach to prayer, only calling out to God when we're in trouble. But friends, praying only in crisis, it's not the way of our king or of those who are citizens of his kingdom. And though some people only cry out to God when they're in trouble, what I hope to show you today is that there's a number of great reasons to pray, even apart from a crisis. In our text today, Jesus actually shares four compelling reasons to pray. And what I really love about scripture is that there's just this continuity and flow as we've been studying through Matthew's gospel. For example, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus taught us how to pray, right? Jesus said, this then is how you should pray. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, so on and so forth. And Jesus there gives us an outline for prayer that will guide us through a meaningful time of prayer with God. Well, whereas in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus taught us how to pray, here in Matthew chapter 7, he gives us some great motivation to pray as we're instructed back in chapter 6. And so again, today we see four compelling reasons to pray, and that's what we're going to cover today, each of these four reasons, one at a time. If you're taking notes today, the first reason that Jesus gives uh, to us to pray is this. It's a great privilege to pray. It's a great privilege to pray. Uh, Many of us view uh, prayer as a chore. And as a result, we kind of shy away from prayer because we think, oh, this is an obligation. This is a duty that I have to fulfill. And because we view it like a chore, uh, we're kind of reticent to go ahead and, and do it. 
But if we start viewing prayer properly, that it's this wonderful privilege that we get to enjoy, uh, it will revolutionize our prayer life. Uh, Think of it like this. When I was a teenager, my dad had this awesome red Honda ATV. And I loved that thing. And my dad, being the generous man uh, that he was and continues to be to this day, allowed me to take it out pretty much whenever I wanted. And let me tell you, when I hopped on that thing, it was no chore to take it out into the woods. That's something I absolutely loved and continue to love to do, all right? I mean, I love that kind of stuff. Motorcycles, dirt bikes, jet ski, anything that brings a little bit of danger into my life, it's wonderful, you know? And so I just, I loved it. So when I climbed on top of it, I'm not like, okay, how quick can I get this over? How soon can we be finished with this wonderfully fun, enjoyable activity that's a great privilege to engage in? No. When I got on that thing, I'm like, let me take my time. This is amazing. This is a privilege. This is a joy. And friends, that's the way that we need to view prayer. It's this great privilege. And this is the lens through which I want us to read Verse 7, where Jesus says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Now, when it says ask, seek, knock, these are just three different references to prayer. And though it's technically given as a command, I think the sense is more of an invitation. It's like this, pretend after service you said, "Uh, Mike, I'm going through this crisis uh, in my life, Uh, can we talk? And I said, sure, Uh, meet me in my office so we can uh, discuss this issue. Technically, meet me in my office, that's a command, but the sense in which I shared it was more of an invitation to come and talk with me about what's going on in your life. And I think that's the sense here of verse 7. It's given as a command, but the sense is more of an invitation. It's a gracious invitation to ask God for what we need. And it's a gracious invitation to seek his help. And we're told up front that anytime we knock on the door of heaven through prayer, the door is open to us. And what I want you to understand today is how amazing this is. Like, like it's actually incredible that the door is always open when we come and pray. I mean, we can come right into God's presence to share what's on our heart and to ask God for help. And the reason that it's incredible and that we ought to have like awe when we think about it is that it wasn't always this way. Please understand. Before Jesus died on the cross for our sins, our sin created a barrier between us and God, blocking us from entering into his presence. If you recall in the Old Testament tabernacle, there was the holy place and then there was the most holy place. And the most holy place was separated from the holy place with a 60 foot tall thick curtain. And the curtain represented the barrier, the separation between man and God. Only the high priest was allowed once a year to enter into the most holy place where God's presence dwelled. And when he did, he came trembling. He came in fear that a holy God might strike him, a sinful man, dead on the spot. And that's why the high priest would come in with bells and with a rope attached to his leg because if the bell stopped jingling, and the high priest didn't come back out, God had struck him dead and they would have to pull him back out. 
So he approached God, yes, but only once a year and with great fear and intrepidation. But friends, what happened the very moment Jesus died? The 60-foot-tall, thick curtain that separated the holy place, which represented the place where God's presence dwelled, that curtain was torn from top to bottom. God was symbolically saying, uh, access to my presence is no longer denied because now Jesus has died for the sins of the world. And now you can approach me. And not only can you approach me, you can approach me with confidence. You don't have to come in fear that you'll be struck dead for your sin in the presence of a holy God because Jesus has cleansed you of your sin. When we come into God's presence through prayer, he doesn't see us as we are sinful human beings in his presence. No, he sees us clothed with the very righteousness of Christ because that's what happened when we placed our faith and trust in Jesus to forgive us of our sins. Our sins were put to his account and his righteousness was put to ours. And God only sees us clothed in the very righteousness of Christ and we are welcome in his presence. As the author of Hebrew puts it, In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, he says, Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and there we will receive his mercy, and we'll find grace to help us when we need it the most. And friends, this great privilege is made possible by Jesus. We don't come fearful like the high priest. We come confident knowing we're clothed in the very righteousness of Christ. So friends, do you see throughout history, being able to come into God's presence, this is not something that we could do. But now because of Christ, it's something that we do day in and day out because of prayer. And this is even more amazing than a teenager being able to ride his dad's red Honda ATV. It's a great privilege. And if we begin viewing it as not something we have to do, but something that we get to do, uh, made possible by Jesus, we'll just value it more and we'll be more eager to pray. Again, as Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 6. So number one, why should we pray? Because it's a great privilege even to be able to do so. Number two, the second reason Jesus gives for why we should pray is this, prayer makes a difference. Friends, it makes a difference. Now, I know some of you were like, God, I, just, I was praying for a 20,000 square foot mansion uh, filled with servants. And, you know, God, you didn't answer my prayer. And so, you know, prayer doesn't make a difference. Prayer doesn't work. Well, I'm sorry uh, when we ask with selfish motives, as we'll see shortly, God does not promise to answer our prayers. But friends, when we pray in accordance with his will, and when we pray for something that God knows won't harm us, God answers prayer. And one of the reasons we shy away from prayer is because we mistakenly view it um, as something that makes no difference. So we, we have to, if we're going to have a strong, healthy prayer life, we have to just get that out of our mind. And we have to replace the lie of Satan with the truth of God's word. Prayer makes a difference. And that's what Jesus is getting at, in fact, in verse 8. Take a look. Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock for, meaning because, everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. 
All right, so, so you ask, and it's not that it makes no difference. You ask and you receive. You seek, and it's not that it's a waste of time to seek. You seek and you find, and you knock on the door, and it's worth your effort because everyone who knocks, to him the door will be opened. So Jesus here is saying prayer makes a difference. But what we often get confused about concerning this verse is this. We often mistake this verse to mean that prayer is a blank check. I don't know about you, but I've watched with my kids the 1994 film, uh, Blank Check, all right? And in that film, in case you've never seen it, 11-year-old Preston Waters is hit by an escaped convict named Carl Quigley while uh, Preston was riding his bike. And afraid of drawing attention from the police, Quigley hands 11-year-old Preston a signed check to cover the damage that he did uh, to his bike when he hit it. And then uh, Quigley flees the scene. Well, having the blank check in hand, Preston goes ahead and fills it out for $1 million. And then he just goes on a spending spree. Now, unfortunately, many of us view Verse 8 as the spiritual version of a blank check. Hey, ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be open to you. In other words, God will just grant to me whatever I want. But friends, that's completely wrong because God's our heavenly father. Uh, he's not our cosmic genie. And he's here to answer prayer that's in keeping with his will. He's not here to grant every request. Dear God, I want a $4 million raise at work, you know, and like God doesn't answer prayer. And we go, oh man, you know, he didn't answer prayer. Prayer makes no difference. No, it's not that prayer doesn't make a difference. It's that prayer is not a blank check. Yes, Jesus says, seek and you will find. But friends, there's qualifications that we find in other passages in our Bible that help us to understand this verse. For example, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, the apostle John writes this. This is the confidence that we have toward him, toward God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Many of us mistakenly think that the purpose of prayer is for God to do our will, for God to grant our wishes. But to the contrary, the purpose of prayer is that God's will might be accomplished in our lives. Remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? He was like, hey, if this cup of suffering has to happen, okay, but I'm praying that this cup of suffering, if, if I can avoid uh, going to the cross uh, in my attempt here to save the world, if there's any way to save the world without going to the cross, God, let that be so. Let this cup of suffering pass for me. But then Jesus, knowing that the purpose of prayer is not to get his own will done, rather God's, Jesus says this, but not my will be done, thy will be done. And friends, that's how we ought to pray. We ought to pray in accordance with God's will. We ought to pray prayers that will glorify God, that will expand his kingdom, and that will reach lost people with the gospel. And when we begin praying that way, you will quickly conclude, oh, prayer, it makes a difference. I mean, I know this to be true in my own life. Back in 2007, I was just in this season of prayer. I'd wake up every morning. I'd go out on my front porch in the dark in this very uh, rural wilderness type area where I lived. And I would just pray to God. And I'd say, God, I do not want to waste my life. 
let my life make a difference towards reaching lost people with the gospel. Don't let me waste my life. Don't let me waste my life. Don't let me waste my life. Friends, long story short, New Day Church was birthed out of that season of prayer. Ten years later, as our church grew and grew and grew and grew, we could no longer continue to meet portably. So once again, myself, and now we had a great group of staff to pray along with me, and we just pray together, God, provide. The Hall of Fame has been great, but up to this point, whereas it's helped us, now it's hindering us. So God, there's more people who are lost. There's more people who are going to hell. There's more people who need to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. God, please provide. We need, a, we need the space. We need the finances to renovate the space. But God, it's all for the purpose of reaching people. Uh, for you, we pray that you would provide. And friends, that's exactly what God did. And we've been enjoying this space for the last four years. You see, when you pray in accordance with his will, when you pray that people would be lost, when you're pursuing God, when you're doing what uh, Andrew uh, spoke about two weeks ago, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then you run into an obstacle, you turn to God in prayer, and you ask him for help, you ask him to guide you, you ask him to lead you, and you just watch as he comes in and answers prayer. I remember even as our you know, team continued to grow, I mean, we moved into the building, we grew by 400 people, we had to make all these hires. So about a year ago, uh, I was saying, you know, I talked to my directional leadership team, Andrew and uh, Peter and John and myself. See, my team is biblical, Andrew, Peter and John. And, you know, and I was just talking to them and I was saying, hey guys, we really need this next new hire. And so we worked together on a job description. We said, this is an important area of our church where we don't have a position for. Let's write a job description and then let's pray and look around and we just like we weren't seeing anyone in fact you know what we started doing we started looking around without placing much of a focus on prayer is really how it went and when we couldn't find anyone we said all right you know we got this wrong let's begin really praying about this and I asked the team to pray and I remember clear as day as I was praying someone who had been right under my nose all along we've been looking for someone for months and all along there had been someone right under my nose uh, that was right there and I believe God just highlighted that person in my mind and I brought this name to the team, Jack Duga. And I said, what do you guys think? And everyone was like, oh my goodness, he's amazing. He'll be perfect for the role. How did we not see it before? Well, friends, he was an answer to prayer. And now he's here at our church serving as our connect pastor, helping to connect people to their next step in discipleship. And he'll actually be up in just a little bit to give the salvation appeal today. But every example that I'm given, and I could give many, many more, came in the response of like trying to advance the kingdom of God and running into some kind of obstacle and then seeking the Lord in prayer. And friends, when we do that, when we're praying in accordance with his will and praying that his kingdom would be expanded and praying that more lost people would come to know Jesus, you will quickly see when you pray that way that God answers prayer. Just because he didn't grant you that mansion or that $4 million, you know, raise, uh, whatever that you asked for last year, does not mean that prayer makes no difference. It does. It's just that the Bible tells us when we pray with wrong motives, God's not obligated to, uh, you know, give us what we ask for. I mean, this is what the Apostle James is getting at in James chapter 4, verse 3. James says this, when you ask, you don't get it, meaning you don't get what you ask for. Because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. So friends, I would encourage you to begin the adventure of prayer. Instead of praying this week, God, please grant me a Bugatti. I would prefer that car to drive instead of my own. You can go ahead and pray that, but I'm going to go ahead and guess that God's not going to answer that prayer. 
But why don't you today pray this, God, open up an opportunity for me this week to influence someone for Jesus, someone in my family, one of my neighbors, someone at work. And friends, you watch how God answers prayer. So the second reason then that Jesus gives to us to motivate us to pray is this, prayer, it makes a difference. When we're praying right, prayer makes a difference. And life becomes, following Jesus becomes this amazing adventure where we work with all our might and all our human power and then we run into an obstacle, we turn to God in prayer, he comes through in a big way. And you can always tell the difference on Sunday between the people who are praying this way and getting the answer prayer and those who are not. Those who are not, they are just got their hands in their pocket because God didn't grant them the Bugatti and they just think they have nothing to be thankful for. And then you got the other person who's like, Lord, I need to reach my family. I'll open up a door of opportunity. And then God did, and they shared their faith. And that person's making strides towards coming to know Jesus. And they show up on Sunday, and they're clapping their hands, and they're singing loud with their voice, and they're worshiping God. Prayer makes a difference. Number three, the third reason that Jesus gives us to pray is this. Pray because God is actually eager to hear and answer your prayer. Friends, a third reason of why we shy away from prayer uh, so many times is this. We have a wrong and erroneous view of God. We think he's someone that's just, he's irritated, he's upset, you know. He's an important deity and he doesn't have time to be bothered with our problems. And here's what happens a lot of times too. Uh, we know that we are sinful, Amen. Yeah, we know that we are sinful. And so we just kind of come before God and we're like, oh, Lord, I know I'm not living, you know, exactly how you're saying. And I, and I fall short so often. And God, you must be angry with me and you must be. Friends, I'm not trying to say that God uh, is okay with sin. He is not. But with that said, God knew that on this side of eternity, we would struggle with sin. And that's why he sent Jesus. And we have to remember that when we go into God's presence, again, we are clothed with the very righteousness of Christ. So when we go into his presence, he's not even seeing our sin. He's seeing the righteousness of Jesus. So he's not angry with us. And if we think he is, we shy away from approaching him and from entering into his presence. Jesus knew that our view of God determines the extent of our prayer life. And that's why he says this to correct our erroneous view of God in verses 9 through 11. He says this, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Jesus here is correcting our wrong view of God. He's not angry with us. He's not irritated with us. He's not annoyed. He's not bothered. And when he answers our prayer, he's not doing so begrudgingly. That's not the God of the Bible. That's the image of God Satan would love for you to have because that's the image of God that will keep you away from prayer. So Jesus addresses it, letting us know what kind of God it is that we serve. I think this is what renowned Bible commentator William Barclay was getting at when he wrote this in his commentary on Matthew's gospel. He wrote this, any man who prays is bound to want to know to what kind of God he is praying. He wants to know in what kind of atmosphere his prayers will be heard. Is he praying to a grudging God out of whom every gift has to be squeezed and coerced? 
Is he praying to a mocking God whose gifts may well be double-edged? Or is he praying to a God whose heart is so kind that he is more ready to give than we are to ask? So to help us with the right view of God, Jesus gives us the illustration of a human father with his child. Now, I can relate because one of my four sons just turned nine. Barrett just turned nine. And on his birthday, he wanted a Nerf gun. So do you think Kristen and I went out and, and, and picked up a stick in the backyard and wrapped it? And here, you can have a stick. No, we went and got him a Nerf gun. And the one he wanted was this big, so we got him one that was this big, you know? Because we love him. That's, that's right. We got some Nerf fans in here. That's right. So, like, we just, I mean, we gave it to him. And I'm telling you, there's no way that he enjoyed opening it up more than we enjoyed watching him open it up. Because we love him. And he's our kid. And we delight to answer his request so long as, you know, it's not going to be something that's harmful for him. And, friends, that's how God is with us. If it's in accordance with his will and if it's good for us, Yeah, when we seek, we shall find. When we knock, the door will be opened. When we ask, we shall receive. But here's what's awesome about God. God loves us enough to say no if what we ask for in our limited wisdom, thinking it's good for us, is actually going to be bad for us. How many of you, like me, prayed that God would allow you to marry your middle school crush? I'm so glad God didn't answer that prayer. Because now i got five beautiful children uh, from the love of my life, Kristen. I remember several years back, I was praying, hey, God, I would love to go ahead and get a master's degree, but I am not interested in going into debt in order to do so. God, I'm praying that you would provide. And I was thinking like, hey, it's in in accordance with his will. This is going to help people in our church. I'll just know how to teach the Bible even better, blah, 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 blah. And I just prayed. But you know what? The answer was no. That did not pan out. God did not provide. But you know what? I wasn't sour grapes. I wasn't worried about it. I just said, God, I trust that you got something in store. You know something that I don't. And I was cool with it. Well, with the gift now, years later of, you know, hindsight's 2020, I'm looking back and I'm going, oh my goodness, right when I was praying that prayer, trying to enter into a new program to get my master's degree and all that, uh, we bought this building and began renovating it. And if I can be candid with you today, uh, just the building project alone almost killed me, never mind adding a master's program on top of a building program. So God knew what he was doing, and in that season, the answer was no, and maybe that will change for the future, but I'm so glad that God protects us from our own requests when what we ask for actually wouldn't be good for us. So friends, God is eager to hear, and he's eager to answer, but again, remember that that does not mean that prayer is a blank check. He's eager to answer, but when what we ask is in accordance with his will and will expand his kingdom. He's eager to hear and to answer, but never if what we ask for is actually something that's bad for us. And we so often with our limited understanding and our limited perspective and our limited wisdom and our limited knowledge of what's to come in the future, we pray and we think we know best and we ask God for something. The answer is no, and then we get angry at God. Friends, we shouldn't get angry at God. We should give him praise and give him thanks that he spares us from what we think would be good for us, but what he knows would actually be bad for us. All right, one more. The fourth and final reason that we see in our text that Jesus gives us for why we should pray is this. Prayer, friends, is the key to living the Christian life. 
Prayer is the key to living the Christian life. We cannot fulfill God's law. We cannot do what God requires as good as we could apart from prayer. Prayer empowers us to live in accordance with the word of God. Friends, there's a side of us that wants to say yes to God and no to sin, but then there's another side of us that wants to say yes to sin and no to God. And the way we keep the side of us that wants to say yes to God and no to sin stronger than the side of us that wants to say yes to sin and no to God is through having a vibrant, healthy prayer life. Prayer helps us to be spiritually strong so that we don't give in to temptation and so that we say yes to God. Now, I want you to follow me here so that you can see for yourself that key, that the key to living the Christian life successfully is prayer. Follow me close. Back in Matthew chapter 5, the beginning of the Sermon of the Mount, in verse 17, Jesus said this, I've not come to abolish the law, rather to fulfill it. And Jesus likewise wanted every single one of his followers to also fulfill God's law. That is, he wanted everyone to live in accordance with God's law. He wanted people to fulfill the commands of Scripture. But the people were totally confused what God's law actually required. And so Jesus, in, in this Sermon on the Mount, goes into all these different areas that were commonly misunderstood, and he teaches the people what God's law actually required concerning those areas. So take a look, and here's a review of where we've been over the last few months. Jesus cleared up confusion about what God's law actually taught on the topics of murder and adultery and divorce and oaths and retaliation and love and giving and praying and fasting and wealth and worry, and as Peter taught last week, judging others. And, and what he does in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, take a look, Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, Jesus gives the summary of all his teaching. It's as if he's saying, I just taught you like a whole bunch of stuff, and it seems that it's all disconnected and a whole bunch of random topics, but it's actually not. Here's what I'm saying. If you can't remember everything else, just remember this. He says, in everything, let's say it out loud, in everything, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. So Jesus did all this teaching on the law and the prophets, all this teaching on what God required in his law. And Jesus says this, instead of trying to remember every rule for every little thing, just remember this one thing, treat others the way you would want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. This is the fulfillment of the law. This fulfills how God requires you to live. But friends, understand this. We have just, today we are finishing a section of the Sermon on the Mount. We're not done, but we're finishing an important section. He did all this teaching on the law, and then he summarizes it all with this command. But here's the deal. Right before he gives his summary statement, we find the teaching on prayer that we've covered today. What's Jesus saying? I think it's obvious. He's saying that the key to living the Christian life, the key to living the way God wants us to live, the key to living in accordance with God's law is to have a healthy, vibrant prayer life. It truly is the key. And I think we forget sometimes just how central prayer was to the life of Jesus. Jesus' ministry began in prayer. It was ended in prayer, and it was marked by prayer in between. Let me show you. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry in Matthew chapter 4, we see Jesus kicking it off with 40 days of prayer and fasting. 
Throughout his ministry, Jesus started each day with prayer. We read in Mark chapter 1 that very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And friends, in the Greek, this indicates that Jesus was only doing what his daily habit was. Each day, he would wake up early, and he would go off, and he would pray. Besides this, Jesus always recharged his spiritual batteries after ministering to the crowds via prayer. We read in Matthew 14 that after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. In fact, Luke chapter 5 tells us that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places, meaning deserted places, and he prayed because in those deserted places, he could be alone with God. And then finally, Jesus turned to God in prayer to find the strength he needed to go through with his crucifixion towards the end of his life. We read in Matthew 26, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. Prayer marked the beginning of his ministry. Prayer marked the end of his ministry. And prayer marked every day in between. Friends, here's what I'm trying to say, and here's your next two fill-in-the-blanks. Prayer was central in the life of Christ, and if it was needed for him, how much more so is it needed for us, right? Friends, there's many temptations out there in the world. There's many temptations everywhere we go, and the temptation is to not do what God's law requires, but to do whatever it is we want, whatever it is our sinful nature inclines us to do. So what's the answer? How do we overcome the temptation? Well, Jesus tells us plainly, Matthew 26, verse 41, Jesus says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Prayer helps us to do what the spirit would lead us to do instead of giving in to what the flesh would lead us to do. So we see that we become strong through prayer because, again, it's the key to living the Christian life. Now, friends, in light of Jesus' teaching that we've covered today, by way of application, let me share with you several things we need to stop doing in light of Jesus' teaching as well as several things we should start doing in light of Jesus' teaching. And if we'll do these things, we will become men and women of prayer. If you want to be a person of prayer, you got to stop thinking prayer's a chore. And you got to start thinking, this is something I get to do. It's an amazing privilege. If you want to be a person of prayer, you got to stop thinking the lie, prayer makes no difference. And you got to start thinking the truth. Prayer makes all the difference. If we're praying in accordance with his will, prayer makes all the difference. If you want to be a person of prayer, stop thinking, God is, he's just, he's irritated by my prayers. Every time I come before him, he's angry at me. He's kind of looking at me with a, with a scowl and a growl. You got to get that out of your head. And you got to start thinking the truth. God loves when I come to him for help. He loves it. Because as any loving father does, our heavenly father delights in his children. 
Last but not least, if you want to become a person of prayer, stop thinking, I can live the Christian life apart from a vibrant prayer life. You know, I can just do it in my own strength and power. Willpower is how I will fulfill uh, God's law and do what he requires. Nope. Sorry. You got to start thinking to be successful at living the Christian life. I must be empowered by God through prayer. So friends, in Matthew 6, Jesus taught us how to pray. And now today we've seen four compelling reasons to go ahead and pray as we've been taught. And if you'll stop thinking the wrong things and start thinking the right things, you and I will become people of prayer. Prayer was the way of the king and prayer is to be the way of every citizen of our king's eternal kingdom. So friends, let's become people of prayer. If you want to go deeper in prayer and like Jesus have prayer characterize your life, then I say let's get the ball rolling in the right direction by going to God in prayer right now. And I invite you all to join me. Would you bow your head? Would you close your eyes and just pour out your heart to God? Say, Heavenly Father, uh, we want to be people of prayer and we know that you wouldn't have sent Jesus with a message compelling us and motivating us to pray if it was something that wasn't even important to you. So today we ask God for your help that what's important to you would become important to us. God, cleanse us today, not only for the sin of prayerlessness, but also of the misconceptions concerning prayer that so often keep us from coming to you. Today, we remember the great privilege that it is to pray. And God, thank you for Jesus through whom we have access to the most holy place, your presence. God, today we declare the truth. Prayer makes a difference. And today we approach you in prayer, remembering that you're our loving heavenly father who delights in his children. And God, we ask for your help in modeling our lives after Jesus, who knew that prayer was the key to living in a way that's pleasing to you. God, this is what we want. We want to honor you in our lives, and we want to develop a meaningful, impactful, change our world kind of prayer life. So help us. Help us to stop being selfish in our prayers and to start praying in accordance with your will and your purposes so that we can personally experience the exciting adventure that prayer was intended to be, overcoming one obstacle after another, after another, that would keep lost people from coming to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. God, we ask for your help. We're seeking for your empowerment, and we praise you that to him who knocks, the door will be opened. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Mike. All right, if you're here with us, I'd like to ask if you could just remain seated for one more minute. If you're online, I know it's lunchtime. Don't go to the kitchen yet. Just stay here for just one more minute. Thanks. And that's because we just learned about four awesome reasons to pray, but there's actually a fifth reason. And for some of you who aren't yet followers of Jesus, your fifth reason is to pray to begin following Jesus. You might say, Jack, why would I want to do that? What's... What's the deal? Why would I start following Jesus? That's because you and I, when we sinned against God, we incurred a debt that we could never repay ourselves. The penalty for sin is death. 
So it's a spiritual death that we have to pay that penalty with, but God loves us and he doesn't want us to have to pay that. So what he did in his love for us is he sent Jesus, his only son, down to die on a cross. Jesus paid the penalty. Jesus died in our place for our sins. And because he was resurrected on the third day, our sins are totally and completely forgiven. So if you want to make Jesus your Lord and Savior and accept his death as payment for your sins, I'd love it if you could fill out your Connect card and check the box that says, today I gave my life to Christ. If you're in person, bring that on over to guest services. Our volunteers over there will pray with you and we'll give you a Bible. And don't worry, we haven't forgotten about you if you're online. Our wonderful hosts will pray with you and we'll mail you a Bible. I'd like to say a big thank you to each and every single person here for coming on today and online for tuning in. Hope you have an awesome rest of your week and God bless your Sunday. Thanks for experiencing this message with us. If you've been blessed by what you heard, you can give a one-time or reoccurring gift at newdaychurch.cc forward slash giving or text any amount on your smartphone right now to 84321. We would love to connect with you even more. So be sure to like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram. And don't forget to find us on the Church Center app for more information about all things New Day. May God bless you and we hope to see you again soon.